Yeah, Patrick, welcome back. How are ya? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, good. We've had some cold weather the last week. Yes, but that's what happened. <laughs> it's been cold. Like, I, I tried to do my washing last week in the cold weather and it wouldn't dry. Yes, that is a, a major problem with the weather. <laughs> You know, it is like, I, I, do you think it's getting colder every year? No, 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 no. In fact, last couple of winters have been, they've been variable. What happens, of course, is we get older and we feel the cold more. <laughs> that's my theory. <laughs> <laughs> or another one, a couple of weeks ago, Graham Creed, who's uh, the ABC weatherman, yeah. uh, said, for the 232nd year, Winter, people in Sydney surprised by being cold in the winter. <laughs> well, so the truth. The thing is, uh, we have a nice warm, 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 and then all of a sudden it gets cold. I know. is always cold. I think it's getting like minus one up there. Oh, well, I mean, well, it's got a bit of a hill behind below it. No. <laughs> 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 Nah, I wish it would snow like they do. It does in Canada and Ottawa. Uh, I don't really. I mean, I've been in places where it snowed. Yeah. Uh, and it's not very nice, really. Yeah. Uh, it's all very pretty. Hmm. Then when you're out in the countryside, but in the city areas, the urban areas, all it becomes is muddy slush. Yeah. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, serious. But see, when I went to Canada as a kid, did snowboarding in Calgary. That was fun. Yeah, well, that, that's because you're in a place that was set up to enjoy the snow. But it was so cold outside, like, yeah. at night. You know, even going to the Radiant Hot Springs, you just wanted to sit in the Radiant Hot Springs. Right, yes, I mean, it, it, as I said, it's so really, it's, that is it. So uh, snow is all very nice when you can enjoy it. Yeah. But to live with. And to live with the cold, heavy cold like this, because they have really good snow, it's going to be really bloody cold. Mm. And uh, we don't get. Look at look at us on a map, and you'll find we're a lot closer to the equator than Canada. Yeah. We just get hotter. <laughs> weird, eh? Yeah, oh, not weird. Just have to be where we are in the globe. But see, Canada and their summer, they don't get the hot days like we do. Well, again, they're they are further away from the equator. They get like yeah. maybe twenty six. That's like yeah. a warm winter's day. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's pure geography. Mm. Pure geography. I mean, don't you get as I'm sure. Really, Sydney is actually subtropical. Yeah. I mean, the tropics of the tropics pass through Australia. Yeah. And the tropics in America pass through somewhere southern America, southern the southern United States. Yeah. You know, so so my parents south nine states. So most of America is a lot further away from the pole than we are. Mm, like Canada is a hell of a lot further away from the pole than we are. Well, you look at Texas; they had a they had a lot of snow in Texas, I think, this yeah. year. And, and yeah, another thing is the shape of the country. I mean, Los Angeles had a pretty cold winter. Yeah, it's all good, man. Los Angeles is officially Southern California. Yeah. Because <laughs> Canada is a long, skinny state. California is mm. a long, skinny, skinny state. Mm. Uh, 
Well, that's a, it's a lot of it. There are all sorts of factors. I mean, there is a factor to how far you are from your play or how close you are to the poles. Mm. And the other thing is the shape of the country behind you. That's good in America because it's great, big, huge, ex- almost flat expanse yeah. across the middle of America. And that's a great place for lots of cold wind to blow. Well, yeah, look, um, I, uh, I, I love Canada. Yeah. Canada's a beautiful place. That's it. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, Canada's beautiful. Okay, that's interesting, that's all. Nah, um, yeah, so. Yeah, she's giving me some chips. Ah, yeah. But are they Canadian? Do they have cheese on them? No, they've got salt. Ah, uh, not Canadian, not Canada. Mm. Anyway, but the winter's always colder in Canada. Well, that's where it is. Mm. I mean, no, seriously, I mean, if you think about it, uh, the winters are cold in Tasmania. Mm. The winters are even colder in New Zealand. Yeah. That's part of the fall island. Well, Canada is that kind of latitude. Hmm. Canada is a long, long way north. You see, have... the cold weather, Australia is an interesting place, but it doesn't get so snowy that the pond's going to freeze up that you can play ice hockey on them. Yes, that's again, just pure, just, we just don't get that cold. Oh. But, uh, although, I, that's, that's not true. Um, I have had winter's day in golf. Where it hasn't thawed. Hmm. Where the ground tends to remain below freezing for a couple of days. God. Yeah. That's Goldman. Uh, that's not the coldest place in Australia by a long shot. Hmm. So there could be places in Australia where. Say, if you've got the, uh, the, the, the hill, the mountain, the house behind it, uh, in, in Victoria. Yeah. Quite possibly some of those would remain freezing. Through the day. Well, Mount Kosciuszko still gets snow in the middle of summer. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. That's high. Hmm. Well, actually, you can get, you can get snow in the middle of summer almost anywhere south of here. Hmm. But I've, I've, I've seen snow, again, I've seen snow in the middle of summer in Australia before. Hmm. And that's a lot. And, uh, again, so it's just where we are, where we live, and it's just, it's nothing unusual about that. Hmm. Just, just to make it lucky, it makes it a pleasant place to live. But see, so you got the Northern Territory, it's like summer all year round. Yeah, same story, same reason, because it's, it's purely tropical. So the sun, the sun stays pretty close. Wow. You think about it, though, as the sun goes north in summer, mm. in winter, it shines at a steeper and steeper angle, so it has to work harder and harder to lots of the ground. Yeah. And if you're a long way south, then in winter, that sun's a long, it's, it, it, then when the sun's a long way north, then it just doesn't get there. Don't forget there are parts of the world where the sun doesn't make it at all in winter. Well, some parts of Europe, apparently it's like, can be like dark or 24 hours a day. Is that true? Well, that's, that's it. Once you get inside the Arctic Circle, mm. once you cross the Arctic Circle, then you'll get at least one day a year when the sun doesn't rise. That's the definition of the Arctic Circle. God. Uh, and as you go further north, you get more and more day. And as you get closer to the closer to the poles, uh, you can get two or 
three bucks without the sale. Jesus Christ, how do you live with that? Good life. <laughs> no, seriously, good life. Mm. Uh, there are places up in the north of Norway and north of Finland where mm. uh, it's almost as bad as that, you know, where the days are, where you might be lucky to get an hour of sunlight on a day. Uh, I was in Glasgow a few years back. Yeah. And by 3.30, the streetlights had to be on God. in winter. By 3.30, the streetlights had to be on, but you couldn't see otherwise. Glasgow is always cold in the, and raining in the winter. Same reason. And, and the thing is, Glasgow is interesting. Uh, it's it actually warmer than it should be, like all of England. Mm. Glasgow and England should actually be colder in winter than they really are. But they've got this great big body of hot water coming from the Gulf Stream coming from the middle central, central Atlantic, that actually warms England and Ireland, Scotland up, mm. but it makes it raining. Yeah. Because you've got this warm air carrying lots and lots of moisture. That's why Ireland is so green. Well, see, so in uh, Finland, they have the midnight sun. Like, that's, that's the exact reverse. The point is, those places where the sun doesn't go down in winter, doesn't, doesn't come up in winter, those same places, the sun doesn't go down in summer. God. But it doesn't get very high in the sky still. Mm. So it still doesn't get very hot. But uh, in the middle of summer in... Uh, <laughs> <I suppose, laughs> the place like which is where I think. Yeah. Uh, the sun, in the middle of summer, there is that, that goes several days around the solstice, mm. where the sun... Skims along the horizon. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it doesn't rise more than about 30 degrees above the horizon. Mm. So, in fact, the sun is still no higher in the skies than it is in the middle of winter in Australia. Mm. That's the problem, you see. So, it's still, as far as they're concerned, they're getting as much light in the middle of summer as we do in the middle of winter. Mm. That's why it's cold. Yeah, look, there's places in Australia like the Outback, like U- Udinata, uh, so, was that South Australia, hit like 50 yeah. degrees. Yeah. Same thing, the same kind of reasoning. If you've got a great big body of land and not much moisture and not much shelter from the sun, mm. the sun's going to heat you up. Now, the Northern Territory uh, in the wet season, it feels like it's 50, but it could be like 28 degrees. And that's the other thing, the humidity. If it's really humid, then you can't sweat. Yeah. If you can't sweat, then you feel hot. Mm. So it could be relatively cool. And equally, when you get there in, in the, the right side of the season, I was there, like, I was there in August many years ago now. Mm. Beautiful days, but because of the extremely clear sky, no clouds, no pollution. Mm. It's got quickly cold at night. Yeah, in the dry season, I've heard yeah. about that. Yeah, so when the sun goes down, the heat just radiates off and there's nothing to hold the heat. Mm. So, bang, it's cold again. So you've got days day where you wear shirt sleeves and night times where you go to, and you put on your head, you back, you double stick a sleeping bag to keep yourself warm. But see, is it like cold, cold, or, or is it like... Cold for people who live in the Northern Territory because it is genuinely cold. It is genuinely uh, almost frosty. God. Wow. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's the these places because they're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. There's not much vegetation. 
Mm-hmm. So there's not much to hold the heat. The air is very clear and clean. It's very dry because mm. you're a long way from the sea, so there's no water to pump in the air. So with all of these things, it's, it's, it's inverse the greenhouse, in fact. Mm. The air, it heats up. The radiation, the radiation heat comes in, bing, 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 makes it all nice and warm. But as soon as, as, soon as the radiant heat stops hitting you, it radiates off again. Mm. And bingo, it goes back out into space again. Mm. So it gets hot and then it gets cold. Mm-hmm. But that clear, clean, cold, there's something like getting a, a good, clear, frosty morning here. Yep. It's not, it's not too bad. It's not, it is occasional. It's not all the time. Mm. But yeah, there are times, you know, when it virtually frosts. Mm. On a day that after after day, you know, it's all my shirt sleeves. So yeah, exactly, exactly. No, weather is interesting. No, it is because Australia's pretty much got every climate you can have. Well, as as I said, except for the extreme cold. Yeah, we don't really have anything like Northern Europe in Australia. No climate, anything like Northern Europe. Yep, even. The south coast of New Zealand doesn't quite make it. Yeah. I mean, and the south coast of New Zealand can get very, very cold indeed. What about the Blue Mountains? No, nothing like it. I mean, we don't go 20 below in the Blue Mountains. We don't go 30 below in the Blue Mountains. It is cold. It is cold, but we don't go... No. Uh, bear in mind... If a North American talks about minus two, mm. they're talking minus two Fahrenheit, mm. which is about 15 or 20 below freezing. Yeah. <clears throat> the Americans go by Fahrenheit anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So when they talk about minus two, and that's a regular reading in a lot of the North, Central North America, mm. they really do mean minus two Fahrenheit, and that's uh, that's like 35, I like that, 32, or that's 20 below. Oh, God, that's cold. So, sorry, sorry, yeah. Uh, 18 below. Mm. It's freezing cold. Yeah. It's genuinely cold. And nowhere in Australia do we get that kind of temperature. I don't think ever. Mm. Now, cold weather can dehydrate you, Patrick. Mm, It's not the cold weather that dehydrates you. It's the fact that in the cold weather, the air gets very, very dry as well. Yeah. Because it's a basic rule of physics mm-hmm. that the colder the air, the less water you can hold. Mm-hmm. That's why you get fogged and things on cold days. Mm-hmm. Same amount of water, but it gets cold, it says, oh, I can't hold you in water, drop out. Mm. That's why when you put your washing out, you've got to bring it in before the sun goes down this time of year. Yeah. Because as soon as the sun goes down, the water starts dropping down of the sky, out of the air. Mm. So when the, when the weather's really cold, the air is really, really, really dry. Yep. So when you breathe in the air, and when you breathe out the hot air, you breathe out a lot of your moisture. Yep. And so the cold weather is dehydrating you that way. Now, yep. it's cold weather can make you urinate more too. Same thing. The kidneys say, "Oh, we've got to get water out." Oh, that's all. That's the body protecting itself. Now, if you watched uh, Man vs. Wild, he'll tell you that even in the co- in, even in the mountains, you you got to keep hydrated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wherever you are in the world, whenever you are in the world, mm. you 
absolute sorry. The second thing you need to keep alive is water. Oh yeah. The first thing is air. The second thing is water. Mm-hmm. The third thing is then some kind of protection against the weather. Yeah. Shelter. But shelter or clothing. Yeah. If necessary, it's really cold. You will die without even have plenty of water. Yeah. But wherever you are in the world, if you don't have water, you will die. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. But the trouble is when it's really cold because you don't think you are losing moisture because you associate uh drying out with exercise and being hot. Mm. Your body doesn't give the same treat or the same drink 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 you get the same signals to drink. Yeah. So you can forget to drink. Well, that's the thing when you go travelling, even if I've gone to the Blue Mountains, I will always take water with me. It's funny about that. Over the last 20, 30 years now, people started. But I've got an age where you went somewhere to water drink, and you found a bottle of water, or you did find a bottle of water. Yeah. You, you went into water one drink, or you found a cap to drink out of But uh, there is a sense to which this is going beyond what is necessary. Mm. Most of the time, you really don't need to carry water with you mm. because you can usually hydrate enough at the start of the day mm-hmm. to last the day. And in fact, the good survive the, the serious survivors say, if you're in the desert, you've got a canteen full of water. The best place to carry that water is inside you rather than in the canteen. Yeah, drink it all rather than carry it and bring it later on. Mm. The best place to carry it is inside you. Mm. So you can actually stock up on water to get you through most days. But the trouble with the heat too, you like... Yeah, uh, as I said, to get through most days. Yeah, as a fire... On a hot, yeah, as a, on a really hot day, you exercise a bit more than you expected to. Yeah. Then you can start feeling unpleasantly dehydrated. And there have been a couple of occasions where I found myself genuinely dehydrated. And it's not nice. Well, no, it's not. I, I had an experience this year uh, on a fire call. It was like, what, a 40-degree day, and I started to get symptoms of heat stroke, so... Oh, that, no, that's not dehydration. That's another matter again. But uh, I just had had to sit in the truck and just sip on water and yeah. have an yeah, ice block. Dehydration and... is important, but heat stroke is more than dehydration. Gotcha. Heat stroke is the body saying... You're too hot for all of my methods. So I'm going to start shutting down unnecessary parts. I'm going to start ah. the core of my body. No, just symptoms like wasn't sweating as much. Exactly, yeah. The body, the body is shutting down. Sort of started having a bit of a headache around the eye, so... Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I just went off and hydrated and I was fine, but... Uh, yeah, but you also cooled down. That's more important. Yeah. That's why in case we're off on the outside is that I put this water on the inside. Yeah. Now the old wet towel around the back of the neck of things. You see, Bear Grylls would would tell you if you're uh, on the verge of heat stroke, don't uh, chug water for some reason. Same reason, same thing. It's, if you're on the verge of heat stroke, the best place for water is outside, not inside. Yeah. You've got to cool yourself down. Mm. You don't have to chug water, but putting water on the inside won't cool you down. Mm-hmm. It might replace the water you've lost through the dehydration. Yeah. But it won't cool you down. The treatment for heat stroke is cool the person down. Don't give them water. Uh, I mean, if you're in a situation that 
traditionally if it's at first day or it's going to be a child or something, you've put a sheet over them and you have the sheet with water. Mm. In other words, or, or if, you're, if you're that new, get a towel or something, you fetch it with water and you hold and you put that on your back, back of your neck and things. The aim is to cool yourself down. You pour water over your shirt. Mm. Not down your gut, not down your throat. You pour water over yourself. Mm. You've got to cool down. Exactly. You see, when you're taking medications, they can dehydrate you quicker too. Oh, yeah. Dehydration is another story, yeah. But as I said, they are related but different. Mm. You know, but uh, it goes to show that, yes, you've got to keep hydrating and stay off soft drinks too. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> yeah, because they find all they do is trigger the old kidney. The kidney says too much sugar and start pumping it back out again. But what about Gatorade and Powerade? Ditto. Uh, they got... they are, the whole point about uh, gate-rated power rate is, is they're designed to replace energy. Yeah. Which means if you're an exercise and salt. Mm. Uh, basically, they're, they're, they're replacing your energy in your salt. Yeah. Now, if you are exercising very hard and you are sweating yeah. hard, then you will be pumping salt out of your body. Yeah. And believe it or not, you need salt. Yes. Uh, and in fact, the trouble is you have too much salt, it has the reverse effect. You, you have much, you have too much salt. Mm. You've maintained the balance. Well, so Gatorade so and things like that, Gatorade is the original, mm. all of those things were designed to uh, replace both the energy because you've been exercising, so, so they're calorie-rich, mm. and the salt. Now, uh, with, uh, you know, these sport drinks, they've got sugar in them too, Patrick. That's what I'm saying, the energy. That's what I'm saying, they've got yeah. calories. Now, I've been, I've actually heard it's no good to have the sugar-free stuff like Diet Coke, Powerade Zero, you know. Well, it depends what you're having it for. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing. If you, are, if you are exercising and you are burning off energy, then you need to replace the energy that you're burning off. Yeah. Otherwise, the body starts going into your ketosis and starts burning up the rest of the body, burning up the fat, and then that fat starts burning up muscle. Shit. Oh, yes. Uh, this, this is what people have to start to kill themselves. Mm. Uh, so, no. So, if you are, ex- this is it. These drinks are designed for people in extreme athletic situations. Mm-hmm. But now, Gatorade was designed for an American football team. Now, is it true that you can overdose on water as well? You can cause yourself to fall the edge. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, because again, you're body system mm. is designed to be in balance and you've got a stomach that holds so much water yeah. and you can process so much water. Yeah. You've got a blood system that is water and a lot of us is made up of water. 40%, 40, 40 to 60% of us is water. But if you get too much water in the system, again what happens is all the things that are in the bloodstream start getting diluted mm. and they stop working as efficiently. Yeah. You can't carry as much oxygen. You can't carry as much food to the thing. So you start getting poisoned again. Poison toxicity, yeah. Well, isn't that a problem with a lot of the long-distance runners? Long-distance runners have... Uh, those 
particularly going for ultra long distance running up, as you know, the big and particularly long distance runners, have this constant balancing act of maintaining their energy. Yeah. And at the same time, and maintain their hydration. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which means they have to be very, very, very aware of their physiology, of how, they, how they're working. Yeah. Or have very well, very confident people looking after them. Mm. Uh, I mean, the, uh, we're just coming into, we're actually in the middle of the, uh, the European bike tour, and they are the real long-distance athletes. Mm. Uh, those, uh, that's been one of one of the uh, very one week long bike races. Those people are on the bikes, pedaling at slap out mm. hard work for four hours a day. Mm. Uh, and some of the cases there, you know, when they get when they go to the mountain, they have the uh, thing that a bloke will start eating at the bottom of the mountain, mm. carrying things like bananas, energy gels, yeah. and effectively eat halfway up the mountain. Yeah. Because they're working so hard that they're burning off the food almost as fast as they can put it in. Yeah. Yep, almost as fast as they put it in, they're burning it off. Now, have you ever found, like, I've been hiking up in Katoomba. Yeah. And as you go, as you start climbing a hill, the air feels like it's getting thinner and you're like, That is a kind of a truth. Mm. But probably it's more the fact that you might just get back. Mm. Uh, you have to go quite a bit higher mm. before the air thinning really becomes a, a critical factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is not high. Nowhere in Australia is really high. Mm-hmm. But you're not high until you're a couple of thousand metres plus above sea level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, a mile high city. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, a mile high, that's 600 metres. Shit. <laughs> yeah, meet me. And up there, low, uh, low, 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 people do actually start feeling the, uh, the difference in the air. Mm. But equally, I have been up around 3,000 metres plus. Yeah. I've been up to around 3,500 metres in uh, Colombia. And I had no trouble at all. I did not notice any difference. Yeah, because you fit. <clears throat> oh, I said at the time, but nevertheless, yeah, but I didn't notice any actual difference. Mm. I was still able to move around quite freely. Yeah. I didn't try very hard. I was being a bit lazy at the time, but nevertheless. <laughs> I was trapped. Mm. Uh, so, so, again, uh, but that, around that level is where altitude problems really do start cutting in. Mm. But the, the Blue Mountain Mountains, they're not high. They're just hills. Yeah, it's hills, but it can, they can, you know, the air, I, I think, feels a bit different up there. Oh, mm. again, what you think is uh, it's getting colder. Yeah. As you it gets colder, that can always tell. Yeah. That's probably why I was puffed out. I was on a hike. Exactly, you're puffing out. <laughs> you're puffing yourself out. 
not so much that the air is letting as your demand is increasing. Mm. Your body is needing more air, but still, so you've got to work hard to get the air in. But that's not because there's less air, because it's, it's, it's supply against demand. Mm. Supply's remaining like basically the same as demand's increase. Now, <clears throat> like, you get like Mount Everest, right? Yep. Apparently, to climb that is not an easy thing. And once you hit a certain altitude, you've got to descend or something to sleep for the night. Is that correct? Uh, <clears throat> people sleep well, well up the mountain. Yeah. I mean, the base, the, the base camp, where, which is a big staging post, is still a couple of days in the base camp to the summit. Yeah. So, no, you can actually split at those high altitudes, those higher altitudes. Yeah. And I said, I've been comfortably at 3,500 metres. Yeah. That's no issue at all. Uh, but as you get higher, the effect of getting higher spill is more pronounced. Yeah. So, it's kind of it tends out faster, partly. Yeah. But also, the fact is, the whole, the whole kind of work you're doing, you're extremely. Very cold environment. It never gets warm at Everest. Mm. Uh, it's always uh, at ground level. It's always effectively freezing. Wow! Uh, because you're hot and you're a lot of all that snow and ice around. So Everest is always a bit of a problem that way. These very high mountains uh, and Everest Valley Bottom are always very hard. Mm. So, and the, one of the problems is, is that with so many people paying now to be towed up Everest, it's becoming a chiller. Mm. So it's become it's become a bit of a, a bit of a nonsense, a bit of sadness. Well, it's not an easy easy climb, Patrick. Oh no! The thing is, however, a lot of people who are not clients yeah, are being paid are paying a lot of money to be. Guide up Everest. Good. I mean, I mean, you know, they're kind of going great to a day at the peak season kind of nonsense. Yeah. You know, so it's no, it's, a, it's become one of these things on a bucket list, bucket list I for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's lost any meaning. Well, it, Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world. Yeah. What's the second highest? Uh, K3. What is that? Just west, in uh, I think, I think it's north, I think it's, it's western Himalayas. Mm. I think I think it's the north of Pakistan. I can't remember exactly where Himalayas is. Is it true if, you, if you're flying from Europe, you can see Everest outside? No, no. Uh, no. There is something called the curvature of the Earth. Mm. Yeah, the Earth, that, the Earth is spherical. It's a long way around. Hmm. No, you're fine. I'm not sure. I can't remember when I first... I mean, I've flown away from Everest. Yeah. But among other things, as you fly away, because you're flying kind of... The other ranges in the way start getting in the way as well. Yeah. So I think you just become buried among the hills anyway. Hmm. Wow. See... You, you know, we uh, you got the okay the bottom of the ocean, right? Yeah. But we still don't know everything about the bottom of the ocean, but we know more about outer space. 
without without probably less about the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Than we do about near space. Why is that, Patrick? Uh, it is in some ways easier to get into space. Mm. <laughs> True. Oh well, just time bloody great big explosion in behind, let it rock, bang you in space. <laughs> That's what they do, isn't it? Yeah. Really, to that, to that extent, uh, what it means is it's quite... We're actually going down to the bottom of the ocean, uh, and it's a lot easier to keep uh, the pressure differential. Yeah. I mean, uh, we are at you know, one atmosphere. If we're in outer space, the, the pressure differential between the inside and the outside of our best house chips is one atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, you know, a thousand sixteen hectopascals. Yeah. Or billy bars or whatever it is, an inches of mercury, whatever. Yeah, but it's not the hectopascals, you're the current language. Mm-hmm. One atmosphere. It gets the equivalent of 10 metres of water. Mm-hmm. You go down a thousand metres, you are already at a hundred times the pressure differential. Wow. You go down 2,000 metres, and don't you get the bottom of the, the path one day, so deep, a hell of a lot deeper than that. So you've got to build a really, really strong vessel to travel in. Well, submarine, are they well, going to... Most submarines only go around... Most submarines fail, would fail at 1,000 metres depth. Yeah. Because that's because they, with, with, when you build a submarine, it's a trade-off between how thick you make the walls, which is how heavy the submarine is, mm. which means how deep you can fit into it, mm. and its strength and its so uh, and its size. So that's a trade-off. So what was that Cameron when he went down to the bottom of the very outer stretch? But he was in a single kind of a bottle-shaped thing, effectively. You remember it? Yeah. And it had walls, I think they were 10 centimetres thick, kind of thing. But because it was so small, those walls were strong enough to keep that pressure. Because all you have to do is get the tiniest failure in that wall, and you're dead. Yeah, it's bad. I think there was an incident. Again, so the bottom of the ocean is actually harder to get to than out of space. Because what, because you've got, you've got all that wall between your now between you and the ocean, so you can't move as freely. Mm. But now, if you're in space, all you need is is a a tight fitting suit. Let's be tight fitting, a skin tight suit, and something to pressurise your lungs, etc. And you're right. Mm. Yeah, really. Yeah, look, the I think there was an incident where a military submarine had some radioactive thing wrong with it. Is that true? Uh, all sorts of possibilities like that. I'm not sure. The, the, the most recent story was the uh, Indonesian submarine. Yeah. But that was, that was a, a diesel engine machine. And as far as we know, it, it broke up. It got down below 1,000 metres and it just broke up. God. There are three pieces of it lying at the bottom of the ocean. But that's too much pressure. It just went splash. Wow. It broke up. Uh, this is what happens with pressure. Yeah. Uh, there have been incidents. There was a Russian incident. One of the Russian nukes did go down. Mm. 
And so if you get some red goes down, it's nasty. But then again, depends where it goes down. Mm. So I don't, I don't know of any recent serious case where we've had a, a nuclear incident as a result of a submarine failure. Oh, there was a movie done of it years ago. I forget what it was. Oh, there are movies done on lots of things. Now, and a lot of them are based on very loose things. What actually was collected is what really going to happen. Well, you see, you got to, um, the bottom of the ocean. There's uh, there's like all these creatures we still haven't discovered yet. Exactly, as I said, extreme uh, files because. Uh, to live at the bottom of the ocean, you have to be a pretty bloody unusual creature. Because, again, because things like the pressure, the weight, and you have to get energy one way or another. Yeah. And energy sources down there, um, there are quite a few deep, but not radically deep swimmers that actually live on, don't get any light energy from the sun at all, mm. which is the traditional way of getting energy for us. Mm. They have to get it from... Uh, the volcanic process is going on down there. Mm. And actually live off volcanic energy. Now, you remember Titanic? Yes, I remember Titanic. Everybody remembers Titanic. Now, I'm not trying to be silly, but uh, <clears throat> there's so many conspiracy theories out there about it, but did it really hit an iceberg? Oh, look, they've seen us. Mm. They've seen the damage where the iceberg hit it. Yep. There's no evidence of an explosion. Yep. Because the only other way it could have been sunk would have been an explosion. Yep. Or a submarine. A submarine. Now, in in the submarine, if a submarine hit it with an explosive or torpedo, that torpedo would still have caused the vessel to explode outwards. Yep. Because it would have punched a hole in it. The hole would have been been the same size. In fact, a single submarine... Torpedo of that time, considering there were very, very few submarines at that time anyway. Yeah. Wouldn't have sunk the wouldn't have sunk the Titanic. Yeah. Its design was such that it would have actually survived. That uh, in fact, that, I won't say it was not a specification, but it would have survived a hole created by a torpedo. Yeah. Very certainly, because because the hole would have been in that kind of place where all of those. Watertight barriers, things that they thought they had that were going to keep us potable, that would have worked. Mm. And the fact was with the Titanic that it didn't have a little hole, but it, it had a big long hole cut in it. That was what sunk the Titanic, not a single puncture hole. It wasn't punctured, it was ripped. So, how does a captain run into an iceberg? I don't understand that. <laughs> uh, icebergs don't have lights on them. Mm. Ships don't have headlights. Don't they? No. Wow. Uh, they didn't have radar. Yeah. So what have we, what have we got? <sighs> Human instincts. Human instincts. Good eyes. <laughs> uh, now, the trouble is, if you have an iceberg at night, North Atlantic, cold weather, guess what you get? Fog. Hmm. There's fog around as well, don't you guess? Yeah. Uh, so, and the iceberg wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. 
wasn't supposed to be a nice dude that far south. Wrong company. So uh, they, they didn't do their homework well enough. Mm. <sighs> yeah. I mean, you get these cruise ships, or you get any, like, Navy uh, ships uh, sailing in these storms over, what, 10-metre waves, you know? Yeah, and they're still 10-metre over... ten waves? Ah, at the rest. You reckon higher? 20? Oh, yeah. But oh, then... yeah, I mean, there, there are waves. Uh, the, 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 yeah, 20-metre waves are quite, yeah, quite a quite a quite, Well, yeah, some of these smaller vessels... Are unimaginably bad in that kind of weather. Yeah. The bigger the bigger the vessel, the easier it is for that kind of weather not to hurt it. We just tear up. You're a twenty meter away. I'm <laughs> a three hundred meter long vessel. Yeah. So what? But still, it can do damage. It can do damage. There's a lot of energy in them. You know. But they, but they build these things pretty strong. I've seen a few clips on YouTube. There was one uh, a boat actually sailing over the top of the tsunami. You know the Japanese tsunami. You know what? What? If that isn't a fake, I will eat my hat. <laughs> Seriously, because tsunamis don't happen in the open ocean. Don't they? Where do they happen? A tsunami happens when. It is a tsunami. Let's call them tidal waves because it's actually the same mechanism. Yeah. What happens is that you get a buff or something to disturb water, disturb the ocean. Yeah. And a very fast, and a fast moving wave carrying a lot of water is set off. Mm. But this wave might be only oh, 15 centimeters high, 20 centimeters high. Mm-hmm. But it might be a hundred meters wide. Mm. And it's moving fast. Now, now, now so yeah. what happens with the wave is, as it gets into shallower water, the front of the wave starts slowing down, mm-hmm. and the back of the wave keeps carrying on. Yep. And it piles up, and it piles up, and it piles up, and it piles up, and that is what is done. That is why when the tsunami happens, the first thing that happens is the water goes out. Because as a wave goes along, the front of the wave is pulling the water from in front of it. But as it gets shallower, there's no more water to pull, pull out, and it starts piling up. Yeah. And that's actually how tides work too. In the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you cannot detect this high tide species. They're measured in centimetres. Yeah. There was the Krakatoa tsunami that was triggered yeah, not, by... There have been massive tsunamis from a lot of... <clears throat> that was from a volcano. Yeah, volcano. Most tsunamis uh, occur as some kind of volcanic or other tectonic activity. Um, an earthquake of some sort. 
or even a major underwater landslide. You need to move a lot of water quickly. You need some kind of massive push and an earthquake where you get a shift to the bottom of the, the, bottom of the, bottom of the ocean goes down 10 centimetres in 10 seconds. Yeah. Something like this. Yeah. Or something like this. You need a massive push or an earthquake or a volcano erupts. Mm-hmm. Particularly if it's partly submerged and it pushes out the water. When that water starts moving, you give it enough shove, it's all about the energy. Mm. Enough energy goes in, it starts moving a hell of a lot of water, not necessarily in a high heap, but in a big heap. Mm. So it might be, it might even be 10 centimetres, 20, 30 centimetres high, but there's a lot of it because it's very deep, front to back. Mm-hmm. And it moves fast. So it's got a lot of energy. And there was the 2004, it was the Boxing Day tsunami. Yeah. Remember that, like yes. it was yesterday. Yeah, I remember most of the tsunamis, yes. Yeah. Uh, there was the, uh, yeah, so there are all sorts of tsunamis in various places around the world. <laughs> but see, San Francisco, if there was going to be an earthquake, it would hit always hit San Francisco, wouldn't it, or a tsunami? Uh, San Francisco is more likely to be earth, have, have the earthquake hit hit than be hit by a tsunami. Yeah. Because the fault lines are on the land in that area. Yeah. If you're a tsunami, you have to have the earthquake a huge, big earthquake, or something like, that, something like that, under the water. Yeah. Or on the edge of the ocean. Um, and it has to be a big event. Start yeah. a, a big, high-energy event. You start a lot of water moving, and then, then you've got a tsunami. Well, it seems to me Hollywood's always uh, portraying it like that. Oh, yeah. Well, see, San Francisco... It's going to get by another major earthquake. Yeah. You should watch uh, San Andreas with Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, well, I'm not going to watch any of the... It's all of these fictional accounts. Yeah. Uh, at the best guesses about the science. But more importantly, uh, the romanticisation... I'm using that word technically. I don't mean that they are fictional creations about what people are going to do in reaction to it. Mm. Mm. So all of these disaster films about how people react. Yeah. Nobody knows how people are going to react until this thing actually happens. Now, you met there was there was a huge fire in Chicago. Yes, Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Murphy's cow, yes. Was that a real event? Oh, yeah, the Chicago fire. As I said, a cow kicked, a cow kicked over a candle. You serious? A cow? Yeah, a cow. It started by a cow. Yes. Fuck it. I saw a cow today outside of the paddock, just eating grass. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> You're in strike. <laughs> yeah. So yes, that's like a cow actually started that earthquake. Yes. Fuck it. How bad was that fire? When was it? Uh, in the twenties, I think.
Mm. Of course, I'm local on this. In other words, it's only really not going to be San Francisco. Uh, not Chicago, over. Mm. But, you know, which then had a major effect on the American economy because Chicago, a lot of it, like a lot of other places, is a uh, an important part of the world. Mm. So, uh, let's say Chicago uh, could be said to be a, a, a could put is, is a problem in that sense. Mm. Chicago fire. I think you've had. There have been half a dozen major fires around in history. Yeah, Australia's always got them. Yeah. We've had fires, you know, in Australia that have been... We've had, we, we've had fortunately, very few uh, fires in cities. Yeah. But all of our spectacularly big fires have been in our bushland peripheries of our city, one that affected people the most. Yeah. I mean... The one a year and a half ago now, they were humongously huge in area, and the damage and the loss was enormous. Yeah. Uh, but despite the fact that these fires were bigger and bad in terms of this, the size of the fires, mm-hmm. the damage they did things like to, to damage to people mm. was a lot less than the fires or the 10 years in the Blue Mountains down in Victoria. Yeah, because... We learned from all the horrible mistakes we made in those, but making sure people were taken out from the fires, they weren't allowed to stay in and things like this. Mm. So we, we have to learn how to, if not live with those fires, at least how to minimise the human loss. Well, but, it's funny, like the Northern Territory, you never hear about the bushfire, any bushfires in, in like uh, Northern Territory. You get them. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> There, were, there have been major, there were major fires up in the Kakadu a few years back, a few years back. In the dry season? Well, it wouldn't be in the wet season. No, it's but, too muggy. But don't forget that a lot of the Northern Territory is constantly wet. Yeah. It's rain. A lot of that is actual rainforest. Mm. And when rainforest dries out, that's when it burns something horrible. But that's, So a lot of the Northern Territory, but there, there have been major fires in the Northern Territory. But because there aren't many people up there, yeah, they become they become the, the, the more terrible fire. It doesn't have that same direct impact on, on on the rest of Australia. What about over in Western Australia and South same Australia? Thing, same thing. There have been major there are major fires. Every part of Australia has had major fires. Even over the years. even Tasmania. Oh yes. Um, oh yes. Um, Mm. Is the is the best advice they had from the uh, 
study of it. No mm. amount of trying to burn off in advance or clear things or prepare things like that would have made any difference. The weather had been so hot and so dry, so long, that everything was going to burn anyway. Yeah, look, I can remember all the smoke in the air and the air oh, just yeah. felt crap, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, over Campbelltown, it was just so smoky. It was like Shanghai, China. Yeah, I was here that, just, before, that just before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, got down to Canberra, and three days later, it was twice as bad. Ugh. New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, it was twice as bad. Uh could not see more than about 100 metres yeah. you of the smoke. That, that was smoke from, the, from coming up from the coast. Were you uh, wearing a mask or you didn't? I didn't wear oh, a no, mask. No, like that's how you'd have me a mask wearing me. I was in the car. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> shut the doors. Put a, gas, put a gas mask on. <laughs> to a bad fire in um, uh, Bargo, right? Uh, Bargo. I went to a very bad fire in Bargo. Yes. Yeah. And, um, man, Patrick, it was it was like it was just red in the sky. It was smoky. Yeah, uh, you kind of, every time you get the fire, you get anywhere near them. Uh, of course, the thing, the thing is, there's something like the fire, unless you are going there to fight the fire, you don't go there. Well, I went there to fight the fire, and my oh, God, never seen spot yeah. fire just happen so quick. It's just yeah. like spitting everywhere. Yes. Oh, no, once a big fire is, I mean, the energy involved in a big fire is on the same scale as H box. Yeah. So really, it's probably got more energy than the, the thermonuclear box. We are that kind of energy. And it's hot too. It felt like it was well, like. I do that word energy, and it's probably been. Yeah. And it's pumping out a lot of energy, a lot of energy. Yeah. And uh, it pumps itself. This is how they feed themselves. Yeah. Uh, once, once you get to a certain point, these fires become self sustaining almost. Yeah, they get out of control. Yeah, well, they, 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 the big thing is because they, they create their own local climate. Mm. Oh, they, get, they, they, they create so much, they create wind storms mm. from the uh, convection effect so that they're sucking things in. And although the wind is blowing towards the fire, uh, the fire itself is spreading. And it's great if it sucks that he just keeps on pumping out. Mm. Oh, no, it's a, no, a big fire is, uh, I've seen them from a the distance. Yeah, uh, it was like literally 50 degrees. Yeah. Very hot. Yeah. You know. You know. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, my God. It's funny, um, 
you get up like North Queensland, they get like uh, cyclones, right? Yeah. But they don't get like the cyclones you get in the United States. Again, you get different cyclones in different parts of the world. The cause that, well, I mean, a lot of it to do is with, again, where's the ocean that's pumping the cyclone? Because cyclones are pumped by ocean heat. Yeah, yeah. Which way do they move? Yeah. Because, again, of the shape of the ocean. How hot is the ocean? All of these factors. So just cyclones are different in different parts of the world, yes. Mm-hmm. So by definition, we can't get a cyclone in Sydney because we're not tropical. Mm. Well, does <laughs> the, the Northern Territory apparently get them? Oh, yes. I mean, you get, you get cyclones anywhere where you have tropical bodies of water. Yeah. I think they have a body of water that's tropical. You'll get a cyclone. Yeah. Um, simple as that. Shit. Because the cyclones, or a hurricane to use, or a typhoon, they're all the same thing. Yeah. Just called different things, different parts of the world. Hmm. So you get a cyclone going away, and uh, it's simply uh, a lot of hot air rising. That's all a cyclone, that's all a cyclone is. Hmm. A lot of hot air rising, which means air gets pulled in. And because Earth is spherically shaped and spinning, uh, the air that's closer to the equator is moving at the speed of the air south of the equator. And as it gets in closer and closer, it tries to keep moving at the same speed and starts spinning. Mm-hmm. So called Torios effect. It's really quite a wonderful effect. Mm. But all you need is is a body, a body of hot water. Uh, that's very simplistic. Yeah. But basically, that's what it is. Uh, it gets more complicated because you have all sorts of other other factors creating wind. But that's essentially how wind is created. Wow. And you get, and you get, and basically you get, a, and again, like a lot of these things, they do then become self-pumping. They start to puff themselves up again, but they start swarming. They keep puffing themselves up. Mm-hmm. That's why cyclones tend to happen in the warmer weather. Well, they like the tropical weather, don't they? As I said, well, they're, they're a tropical effect, but you need hot water. Yeah. That's it. You, you need part of the ocean getting significantly hotter than its surrounding part for some reason or another. Mm. Well, that's a very simple picture of it. Well, that's essentially all you need to have happen to make to make some kind of cyclone mm. or a tropical. See, whereas in Sydney we don't get cyclones, but we get the, uh, the thunderstorms. Yeah, and uh, there to do with the fact that we get the similar kind of things to cyclones, which are big, but circulating yet circulation of air, but you get the, the big, the massive ones forming up in southeast current. At least coast low form, it's essentially the same thing as a cyclone, only on a bigger area, and it starts pumping air up along the south coast. And because of the shape of the coast mm-hmm. and the way that air is moving, if you get a lot of speed, you get a lot of clouds, and if you get past moving clouds, they start charging up electricity and you start getting huge thunderstorms. Yeah. So we can get we can get we can get massive storms in Sydney. They're not cyclones, but they can be as destructive 
Yeah, they are pretty bad. Oh, yes, I've been, um, one of the episodes that I, one of the episodes that I had many years ago had um, a hundred-year catastrophe risk in Sydney rated on a similar scale to weather catastrophes as Brisbane. Mm. Because Brisbane had cyclones, Sydney had storms as such, pure storms. Yeah. Uh, again, so the shape of it, things like the shape of the country, the shape of the coast, where the big weather patterns are drive the set, and you can get all of such a massive storm. Wow. Scary stuff. Yeah. You know, scary stuff, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was, I was looking on YouTube, um... When they dropped the hot, I think it was the atom bomb, right? Yeah, well, it Now they they actually had soldiers literally were in front of it, using them as guinea pigs. Um, I th- this is the various testings. Yeah. Uh they've never. There's no record. Of actually deliberately placing troops mm-hmm. in a place where there was a significant risk. Yeah. But certainly there were troops around and on the fringes of the risk area. Mm. But certainly I didn't put troops actively in the risk areas. Let's don't say they stand here and see whether they get knocked over and like, oh, that happened. Now, you've heard of radiation. I have certainly heard of radiation. And uranium. And I certainly know about uranium and its isotopes. Now, there's literally uranium in the desert in Australia. Australia is a major exporter of uranium. There is leftover from the nuclear test of Australia. There is a lot of plutonium left over. Yeah. Plutonium is the is the device is, is what they were using. If you want to make a big bang bomb, yeah, there are two ways you can do it. You can use uranium or a particular isotope of uranium, yeah, which is very hard to make, yeah, because basically you've got to start more uranium and turn it into a gas, mm-hmm. and then use what's called the gas centrifuge and separate it out by its weight. And you can separate out enough uranium-235, which is the isotope that's too light to be stable. And you get about eight kilograms of that that goes bang. Mm. And it's very easy to make a, a bomb using uranium. Very- uh, so much so that in World War II, when they made the, the two bombs, the fat boy, the fat man, yeah. uh, was a plutonium bomb, and they had to test that. The thin boy was the other bomb. They didn't even test. They knew it would go off. Now, so anyway, anyway, getting back to uh, getting back to Maraliga, which is where you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, what they were testing in Maraliga were the plutonium bombs. Yeah. But now, to, to make a plutonium bomb, plutonium is quite easy to get to make. Mm-hmm. You have a nuclear reactor of the right type, mm-hmm. and you can pull your you can pull plutonium out. That's a chemically, and you pull it out using chemistry. Yeah. Which is a lot easier than using physics. And, but the trouble is plutonium is a very soft metal. Uh, so to make a plutonium bomb, you have to work out a way of squishing 
a large squished ball of this soft metal close enough to get it that goes off. And when the plutonium bomb detonates, not all of the plutonium goes off. In fact, most of it doesn't. So you get little bits of plutonium sprayed all over the place. Mm. And plutonium goes bang because it's radioactive. Yeah. It is decaying all the time. So all of this plutonium goes bang, and it's scattered all over the desert. So you've got this very fine, very spread out plutonium dust. Yeah. Really pumping out radiation. Now, that in itself isn't so bad because the amount of pumping out isn't also huge. The trouble is that it's a dust. Yeah. If you breathe the dust in, you've then got a dust pumping radiation out inside your lungs. And bingo, you've got cancer. Well, that's what's happened to some of the troops. That's what I'm saying, yeah, yeah but that was... Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying, but that's that because they have to be down when, when the bomb went off. This stuff has uh, caused uh, birth defects in oh, their yeah, kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that birth defects is another one. It gets in your bloodstream and it hits your gonads. Yeah. And what does it do to the gonads and the DNA of the gonads? Yeah. It says, change, change, bang, bang, and you get mutations, yes. So, yes, I mean, plutonium is a nasty one. Now... Because it is, becomes a dust. When they... And yeah, when... It's highly radioactive. When the uh, uranium bomb, it's a very hard. <coughs> yeah. So it tends to form shards in which aren't the, don't react the same way. Bits of left over uranium hanging around, but they're not as bad. Well, when the pilots have dropped it, they've got to fly the plane so quick, otherwise they're going to get hit. Oh, most of the uh, most of the bomb tests were done for towers rather than for planes. Yeah. Uh, they do. They do actually drop a few of them, but they just. The point is that, you know, you don't have to fly all that part, but you can fly at a high altitude. Yeah. You can fly, say, 10, 15,000 metres. Yeah. Most, most aircraft in those days can do that. You drop the bomb, you have a parachute on the bomb, so it doesn't fall fast. Yeah. These bombs, most of them had a parachute, they weren't just dropped. They weren't dropped like a conventional bomb. Yeah. So the whole point of them was is that they, they, you dropped them, but it's going to fall from... 10, 15,000 metres down to 1,000 metres. Yeah. That's 26, that's 20, 30 seconds at least. God. Now, you're flying at 360 metres an hour, that's 10 metres a second. Mm-hmm. You know, you're 20, 30 kilometres away. So you're well away from it and yeah, you're safe. Yeah, you're well away, yeah. And you don't have to go and fly, boom, 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 yeah, fly at your regular high speed and, and the bomb drops down to in the air, that's the other thing. Most of these A-bombs are set off in the air. Yeah. Rather than impacting the ground because they are they're area bombs. Now, you can actually see footage on YouTube where they've they've done them in, in the ocean as well. Oh, look, I mean, all of these things are part of my generation, don't forget. Yeah. You think it's, I mean, I, these are all the things that I know about with all of my history. Yeah. Uh, there were subterranean tests. They, they, they tested them underground. A lot of testing was done underground. Yeah. Because that contains everything. Yeah. Quite a few were done underwater. Yeah. Which is rather nasty, really. Yeah. Uh, because what happens is it polluted the water a lot. Uh, a few were done on places like the Kitty Islands. Oh, God. Now, that hold out in the middle of the Pacific, it used to be two islands, three islands, now four. Mm. Uh, 
small but very important. That's why they called. That's why they were called that. That's why they, the kid is called the kid. The small but very important. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these are separate. They, or even in the middle of the desert, mm. uh, the American the Americans used to test them in Nevada. That's where the Manhattan Project tested their first A bombs. Was that Area Fifty One? No, 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 no. Area Fifty One <laughs> was something else again. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, Place. <laughs> the It's amazing how these engineers are building such amazing technology back then and how they get the knowledge for it, you know. Well, the knowledge is just built on, you know, how things work. I mean, yeah, the technology of the Blackbird, by current standards, would be pretty primitive. Yeah. But, I mean, it was essentially a great big engine with a... An aircraft shell built around it. Yeah. It didn't look like any other conventional aircraft because it had to be other things. It had to be radar, very low radar reflectivity. Yeah. So it had that very peculiar shape uh, with a cockpit and a couple of cameras. That was it. Wow. Uh, its controls were very primitive by modern standards. Uh they since then have made, have made so many improvements to the way to control aircraft. But it did its job, and that because they found no need to do something, anything similar, it was, actually, it was actually taken over by satellites. Yeah. And it just basically, you know, just got high in the sky and it flew very, very, very fast. And it's very, very hard to see on radar. So by the time you knew it was there, it was gone. Well, you know why they paint them black? Well, Hard to see. That's it. That. But also, it is the colour. Um, that's partly that's mainly it. Um, to stop to stop any accidental light reflecting on, because you don't want a. But you have something. If you if you have a, if you're light coloured, light will flash off you. And so they, they didn't even want to be accidentally seen. Yes. But they also were painted with radar absorbing paint. Now. Is the military still flying the the stealth bomber and the Blackbird? Or? No, no, no. The Blackbird is the Blackbird is out of service now. Yeah. 
uh, as I said, its job as a being taken over by satellites. Gotcha. I mean, you get the same thing. You get the same effect now with satellites. What about the U two spy plane? That's not going anymore. Oh, eh? the YouTube is being used for a weather plane. Wow. There was YouTube flew to Australia about ten years, ago, about five six years ago. Yeah. But the YouTube. Hey, uh, YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> would take off. Yeah. But get up to altitude, and then before it would anywhere else, it had to refuel. Yeah. Because it was built in such a way that it actually leaked fuel uh, because it had to expand, so it had to accident it to allow it to expand as it got hot. And yeah. until it got up to, up to speed, it just dribbles through your fuel constantly. So it's a very, very inefficient plane to fly. Yeah. But once you got it at the speed and fuel, it was unbelievably effective in its job, which was Zoom over, take photos and zoom back. Wow. The YouTube was its predecessor. Yeah. And it's very interesting place for YouTube because the YouTube's the YouTube was going to fly so high that nobody could shoot it down. Except for Gary Power. Except that somebody could shoot it down. The they Russians. It was too high to be shot down, but it wasn't. Yeah. Now, to... but, but, but so the YouTube was designed to be very, very, very efficient. Yeah. It was, when you look at it, giant glider. It's a beautiful plane. And it's a giant glider. Yeah. I actually rather like to look at the Blackbird, too. It's, it's, it, it came back here. But in the terms of things, I always think it looks something like an E-type Jaguar. Yeah. You know, that kind of long sleeve little bubble for the cockpit in the middle of it. Yeah, anyway, that. So the U-Tube uh, the the, so flew so beautifully. They were still using it. For uh, weather observations and things, yeah. But you put a UFO up in the sky, it could fly for hours and hours at a very, very great height, so it could look down on the weather. Well, to be a U two pilot, the astronauts wearing a spacesuit. Is that right? Well, yeah, they were they were wearing full pre- they were wearing, wearing full pressurized suits. How long does that last for as a U two pilot? But. The full pressurised suit, is that oxygen all the time in the cabin? I, I, I do not know, but I would assume, my feeling is, is that the cabin of the YouTube would have been pressurised yep. to some extent, but the pilots were actually wearing full pressurised suits. Now, what does pressurised mean? Pressurised? <laughs> it means keeping the air pressure in. Yeah, because if you take off that helmet, your head will explode. No, it won't explode. <laughs> that's, again, one of the, that's again one of these science fiction myths. But, what will happen is is that you won't be able to breathe because there's no air to breathe. Yep. Yeah. And uh, because the, atmosphere, the pressure is, air pressure is so low, uh, your blood will start boiling. That's where the explosion comes from. Mm. You'll have your your eyeballs will start kind of doing very nasty things. So it actually explode, but just start things like this. Yeah, it's not nice, but you don't explode. No, decompression. I mean, and even even what they call it close decompression, you won't explode. Mm-hmm. So pressure. So pressurization simply means keeping air pressure in. Yeah. So that you have enough air to breathe and enough air to for your body to work 
but the liquids in your body to behave properly. It's amazing how they built that, you know, that uh, U2 and their spacesuit with it and mm-hmm. how much preparation goes in just to fly that yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, yes, they were... All of these machines are marvels of engineering. Yeah. And uh, sometimes... It, and occasionally, I mean, if not necessarily for the right reason, mm. sadly. But some, it's, it's something like the YouTube, it's, it's really good that the YouTube can carry on having a practical use yeah. after its military use ended. Wow. That was a really wonderful thing about that. They were able to actually carry on using it, you know, for seriously, for good purposes. Well, the way that when the U two spy plane takes off, this just takes off quick. Oh, the U two. I mean, again, look at its wingspan. Look at its wings. Yeah. I mean, it's designed to operate with almost no air under its wings. Wow. And the higher you get, the less air there is. That's why. It's, that's why it's built like a glider. So at at ground level, it's almost a glider. Hmm. So it's look, a- how easy, look how look how easy to get a glider into the air. Hmm. So yeah, the U two. The U2, its engines were designed to operate extreme, extremely efficiently when there is no, when there's very little air. So the other problem is that the engines, the engines don't work as well as they could at ground level, but the wings work magnificently. It just takes off, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Now, now I was looking up on... Um you know, I like doing my YouTube, and there's the yeah, 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 yeah. there's these navy ships that are built like ugh, stealth machines or something. They look like actual war ships, not like that aircraft carrier. Like these things are designed to kill. Uh, and I see, I'm not familiar with the current naval development, but certainly some of the modern <coughs> stealth, some of the modern stealth class. If you've got the modern stealth park vessels, yeah, with all those big flat surfaces on that, they look like a stealth fighter on the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they are they're stealth class destroyers. Yes. Wow. And they are designed to have the same. They, they, they're built like that to have the same radar non-reflectivity as the stealth fighters do. Mm. So somebody, so they're, they're designed to be able to sneak around. You know, you're designed to sneak up on the other vessels mm. without necessarily going underwater. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so they do look, as I said, they do look brutally ugly, yes. Mm. Wow. You see, a lot of this stuff uh, is uh, kept away from the public, too. You know. Yeah, well... It's very hard to see once once you start using these things. Yeah, it's very hard to keep hiding them. True. I mean, once once we, we, we have all seen images of the stealth class destroyers. We have saw seen images of the B one, the, the B two bomber. Yeah, and, and we've all seen images of even next generation Australian fighters. You know the uh, whatever they call it, yeah, the strike fighter, the bike, you know, which is a stealth fighter. What about the uh, Apache helicopter the Americans have? Well, the Apache and the equivalent ones in Australia have the, uh, the Blackhawks and things like that, mm. uh, and the Seahawks. Again, they're just machines built for my purpose to carry ordnance. Mm. 
with a record was designed to carry ordnance. Mm. It's just designed to carry guns. Yeah. So that's why it is that skinny profile. You know, it's a, it's a skinny, but as, as helicopters go, it's skinny. Uh, whereas the big helicopters, like the uh, Blackboard series, yeah. um, they carry similar amounts of that weaponry. Yeah. But, but they look more like helicopters. So they, so they look as vicious. Well, I think I was saying the uh, there's there's this fighter jet that can land like a helicopter uh, from the Americans have. No, there is the Osprey. Yeah. Okay, so I'll rephrase that. There is the uh, there's the British. Oh, you've done it to me again. I can see the plane. <laughs> Uh, there is the British, uh, and, 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 and the American Marines were using it. The, uh, uh, it'll come. Yeah. And then the Americans have built a thing called the Osprey, which is not a fighter, which is actually propeller driven. Wow. Uh, which is a transport type of plane. But the. Uh, I can actually see the plane fly, but I can see the fly. Been around twenty years. Yeah. Uh, and it's British. Yeah. And it's and it is the jets. So 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 it's jet engines instead of punting out of the back, pump out or nozzles on the side of the plane. And yeah. So what they do is they want to they want to take off vertically, they point the nozzles down towards the ground. And that's actually a British plane, not American. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's actually developed a replacement for it as uh, such. Well, I've just done a quick search. It's an uh, F-35 uh, Joint Strike Fighter. That's, no, that's, not, that's not a vertical takeoff. Ah, uh, okay. The F-35 is the one Australia's fine. Gotcha, but this one lands like a um, helicopter. No, 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 I don't think there's any production fighters that land like a F-35. I don't think it's... I don't believe so. Yeah. Just have a look at it after the show if you got time. It looks good, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes, thirty-five. Yes, thirty-one. A lot, a lot. There's a lot of yes, thirty-five jet. Single breed, single stealth, multi-role combat aircraft. Yeah. Uh, there is no. Uh, I've got the old, the, the old. There's a short vertical, short takeoff vertical landing version, yes. Yeah. Uh, however, it's but do it strikes like yeah. Yeah. There are all sorts of things about the H-35. Single engine, sensor avionic. <laughs> Sorted signatures, stealth, cockpit. Vertical takeoff, short landing, but that's actually... 
That's interesting. Mm. The short type of. Uh, there should be a separate section on. Australia is still getting developed. Mm. Yeah, it's a. There is a variant on it, so it's not. I, I, my feeling is, is that it's not a major, a major impact. Yeah. It doesn't look like a major uh, variant on it. Uh, it will have a similar. Yes, there's nothing. There's nothing in the actual uh, description of it. Mm. About how it works. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's no, uh, the Harry is what I was thinking about. The British one. Mm. It was a massive. Anyway, uh, yeah, as I said, as I said, uh, a, a short take off uh, version, which is has some use, but they're mainly relying on it as a because of its, its other functionalities. It's a variant. That's all. Mm. But they have been, as I said, the British had the Harrier for years, which was a true single single line of aircraft. Mm. And probably most successful at that time ever. Mm. Anyway, that's good fun. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Interesting yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. What history teaches us, Patrick. Yep. You know that. Yes. And uh, other than that, um, you st- how's uh, St. Vincent de Paul's going for you? Going well, man. Yeah. Going well. You, you guys getting busy? The shop's getting busy enough, yeah. We're going to the shop, yeah. And uh, have you had your second COVID jab yet? No. It's 12, it's 12 weeks to the day since I had my first. Yep. <laughs> so it's about uh, just under three weeks. Yeah, I, I, I hope we, we don't have to get this COVID vaccine every year. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen yet. Hmm. Uh, Probably some kind of booster, at least one more round of boosters will probably be needed. Yeah. Because of the way the, uh, the, it keeps changing. Yeah. And the point is, if, if, the, if the virus keeps on mutating, then probably we will need some kind of booster. Yeah. Yeah, you are around to add that extra protection, that extra layer of protection. Now, I've been hearing about this Indian strain or something doing something weird to the oh, lungs. Look, there are various strains, and they're up to both being a Kappa Delta and Kappa. Yeah. And it's uh, the Delta and the Kappa strain, which are the fourth and the fifth. Yeah. Uh, that are causing the issues. 
Now, I've sometimes gotten updates on New South Wales Health on yeah. their Facebook. They say there's strains in sewerage systems. Yeah, that's right. It's one of these things. Uh, my friend's ringing me at the moment. Yeah. That's why I'm scared. That's why I take this. I will decline the call and bring it back. <laughs> she's, she's, she's no, she's just already hung up. No worries. Um, <laughs> so, uh, basically, they test the sewer for a lot of sewage for a lot of things, actually. Mm. And once they started coming around, they started testing the sewer because basically, yeah. uh, a lot in the, in the human waste, a lot of stuff that we've ingested. Yeah. That's her ringing on the landline. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the. Uh... Yeah. So, uh, they, they, and they're capable of testing for it. And yeah. They test the same way as they test everything else. Mm. And they do actually test the sewage for a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, during the flu season, they test for flu. Yeah. And I believe they test for quite a, they test for other diseases mm. if there's any kind of suspicion of that disease being around. Mm. It's a very good, quick, rough and ready way of working out whether it's around or not. Now, do you think COVID nineteen was made in a laboratory? I think you've asked me this before. Yeah. And as I said at the time, it's strike look, there is the possibility that it was a variation on another uh, virus that people playing around with, with viruses developed. Mm. There, there is that possibility. Have you heard of a bioterrorist attack? Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, there, this is about... Oh, this is coming up This is coming up with Donald Trump. Yeah. So as soon as, soon as I say that, I'm afraid that we can, I, I discount it because he is not a reliable source of information. Yeah. He has his own access to grind. No. <coughs> However, yeah. there are several layers of possibility. Yeah. Coronaviruses are found in various mammals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bats, rats, whatever. Mm. Now, and they mutate. Mm. They change. And some critters are, not, are closer to humans than others in the way they react. And every so often, one of the changes is, oh, I can attack human beings as well as bats, or I can attack human beings as pigs. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And away they went. Mm, mm. That's one possibility. And considering the history of most viruses around the world, that is probable. Mm. Because virtually every virus, in fact, as far as we know, Every virus has ever attacked us has done something similar. Mm. Uh, so I, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's said, oh, I, I by, by random mutation, mm. found a way of attacking another mammalian species that other mammalian species have to attack this human. Well, it could quite. So that's the most problem. Now, yeah. the second one is, is the infamous, famous, who had virology institute, mm-hmm. where they study viruses. Mm-hmm. Now, when you study viruses, one of the things they do is play around with them and see and see the effect of changes on them. Mm-hmm. 
generally to work out you know, what could go wrong if something did if they did something like that. So there is a possibility, considerably smaller possibility than the the, the, the first one I mentioned, mm. that somebody plagiarized the virus, they created the virus like this, and that virus infected somebody, and that that virus got out into the world. Mm. It required two steps. It required both that they were working on it mm-hmm. and that it escaped. Jesus the God. third possibility, which I discount absolutely, mm-hmm. because it just doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. is the fact, the possibility that it was in fact developed as the war virus, mm-hmm. which is your bioattack. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with a bioattack is that nobody developed a bioterrorism weapon and does anything about, uh, about releasing it mm. until they have an effective counter to protect themselves. Yep. The Chinese did not have at the time of the release of the coronavirus, double coronavirus, double size coronavirus too, mm-hmm. and the time it got into the world, they did not have anything like an effective defence against it. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have the beginnings of a defence against it. If they had the beginning of a defence against it, the possibility that no, they, like everybody else, had to start from scratch mm. to get a vaccine. So the possibility of having been developed as a war vaccine, I discount absolutely. Well, uh, I'm... It doesn't make sense. I'm doing a course on the Great Courses Plus about bioterrorist attacks, right? Yeah. It's quite possible. There have been, been bio, biological warfare has been conducted since the Middle Ages. Wow. Uh, without any good science behind it, but at the times of sieges, the, uh, the, the people on the outside would, if there was anything like plague around, heave plague bodies into the cities. Hmm. In the hope, you know, that they'll infect the city, and it worked at times. Well, there's quite a possibility that could there could be a uh, a bio bio uh, terrorist attack with smallpox. There is the possibility of happening, provided that somebody got hold of a smallpox virus. Now that's very bad. There's, but I said the public point have a bio terrorist attack with smallpox. Yeah, you would first of all have to get hold of it. And there's very, very little smallpox available in the world at all. Mm. And it's all very, very, very heavily locked up. Yep. Seriously, there is some, there, there are, there is smallpox. They have retained some samples of more smallpox on, in case there is absolutely remote possibility that despite all their best efforts, mm. somebody in the world still had smallpox and it got out again. What about plague? Because there's been some cases of plague. Oh, well, plague was the one that I said that was, in fact, I'm talking about plague, but I'm talking about you know, plague as biological warfare. Yeah. The trouble is, again, there are very few known treatments for plague. Yeah. So as biological terrorism, yes, the biological warfare, no. The point is that if you're going to use a weapon for biological warfare, you need a good defence against it for yourself. That's correct. A terrorist, on the other hand, mm. just, just creates made murder. 
Mm. That's another story. It's just, um, I, I liked all my studies, Patrick. Yeah. And uh, the Great Courses Plus, I'm reading about infectious diseases, and these are pr- yeah. it's from a professor. Yeah, well, it's a professor on what his viewpoint is. And it's very interesting. Yeah. And animals, too. Apparently, there's been cases of coronavirus in dogs have spread it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I'm saying, a cor- coronaviruses are a, great, are a family of viruses. Yeah. They're in all mammals. Wow. Well, I mean, but, so the, the, the coronavirus is, is a virus. Mm. Now, those viruses tend to attack one particular species or the most genus of animals. Mm. Because they're adapted to fit that animal's biology. Yep. So they have, they have designed to map onto that, that animal's DNA and hijack it. Mm-hmm. So dogs can get a coronavirus. Uh, or dog, but other animals can get coronavirus or other viruses. Mm. Uh, the swine flu epidemic was a virus, not coronavirus, was a, a, an influenza virus mm. that pigs had that changed the humans. Yeah. We had the, uh, the chicken flu at one stage. Yes. A virus that the chickens had that was like was a, flu, a flu virus that chickens had migrated into people's viruses. Mm. We had the, uh, the Hansa virus, mm-hmm. which went from bats to horses to people. Wow. What about the rhinovirus? A rhinovirus is simply the common cold. Shit. Rhinovirus simply means nose virus. Rhino simply means nose. Yeah. So a rhinovirus is any virus that affects the, that affects the upper respiratory tract. Mm. And the most common upper respiratory tract infections are the common colds. Mm. And there are thousands of rhinoviruses. Because there is actually no such thing as the common cold. Well, people used to die of the common cold. Not as much. Uh, but the common cold is essentially treatable by simply keeping you alive. But see, there's still no cure for the flu. That's right. Uh, there are actually better treatments for the flu yeah. than there are for the coronavirus. But there are antivirals that work with the flu. Now, part of the court... There are things like, the, things like the, 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 uh, the really bad flu. So we had the, uh, the bad flu, things like the SARS. Yeah. Which is flipped at the SARS, exactly coronavirus. Yes. But when we had the, uh, the burns, mm. uh, they were using things called teddy flu mm-hmm. and similar things which were antiviral. There are actually treatments for some of the flus, mm. but they don't use them. Now, for most flus, because with most people, the flu is not going to kill you. It can make you very sick. Say again? It can make you very sick, the flu. I've had it. It, it yeah, but the flu can make you very sick. Yeah. And if you get sick enough with the flu, you might find yourself actually being treated for it and just think from being palliated. Mm. Now, what about... Most diseases, most diseases like this, you can be palliated. They keep you comfortable. They keep you living. They keep you ticking over. They keep your body strong enough mm. for the body to be able to fight the flu off. 
What about things like, you know, shingles? Because you can get the shingles vaccine, right? And well, I've, had the, I've had the shingles vaccine. The shingles is a herpes uh, zoster suspect. Yeah. Uh, it is related to chickenpox. Yeah. Uh, it's a very similar virus. In fact, I think it's essentially the same virus as the chickenpox virus. Yeah. Just has, has a different presentation. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's a virus. You can get, you can get a vaccine for it, yes. Now, chickenpox, apparently, if you get that as an adult, can be quite bad. Most viral diseases, in fact, most diseases that children survive are much more likely to be catching be quite nasty in adults. Because you can get the chickenpox vaccine too. Yes, uh, or it'd be likely to have had it as a child. Yes. Uh, measles in an adult is bad. Yeah. Mumps in an adult is bad. Yeah. They used to talk about, when I, was, when I was growing up, they used to talk about what were called the uh, usual childhood ailments. Yes. Which were measles, bumps and chickenpox. Yeah. And every child growing up was expected to get it. Yeah. And probably one in 20 or 30,000 got it. One in probably four, two or three thousand got it very nasty and got very sick. And probably one in a few thousand died from it. Mm. Now, with ch- chick- that, was, that was taken as part of the growing up process. With chicken pox, because I've had, I had them as a kid, but apparently most people only get it once. Is that uh, true? Being a pox type virus, yeah. just like you are, your body builds up the antibodies for it, and so if the chicken pox arrives again. Your body says, oh, I know that. It's nasty. Yeah. And immediately starts attacking us. Yeah. So it doesn't have as much chance of getting a toehold, of getting established in your body, which is really how the vaccines, most vaccines work. Well, what about shingles? Like, most elderly people are getting shingles, apparently. Not most elderly people get shingles. Enough elderly people get shingles that by now... Once you get to my age, you get shingles vaccine. Yeah. Because it is a very nasty disease of the same family, but it attacks the body differently. Have you had shingles? No, I've had the vaccine. Oh, good, good, good. Good. Which, again, might have stopped me getting it. Mm. But like most vaccines, says, I'm going to help you. I'm going yeah. to get your body trigger off faster so the disease doesn't get as bad. Yeah. The body starts fighting back earlier while the disease is still setting in. So the disease doesn't get the same chance to get a real toehold. See, I was listening... I was listening to um, Dr. Phil on a podcast about coronavirus and you were saying people who have got it build an antibody to it. We don't know. Gotcha. Dr. Phil's doctor is in, in medicine, don't forget. Mm. He could be quoting from someone else. And Dr. Phil is not a medical expert. Yeah. He is far from a medical expert. Yeah. He is more his, his, his major field in anything is in psychology. Yeah. So, again, the, the disease has been around long enough mm. for us to know whether or not having the disease will give you immunity. If it does give you immunity, how long the immunity will last for mm. and how effective it will be. And that, that is also the problem with the vaccines. Mm. We don't know 
whether these vaccines will continue to be effective in one year, three years, or five years. We don't know yet. Mm. We haven't had them long enough. Mm. And because the development was so fast, we didn't have a three or four lead year, year lead time on them. Mm. So we don't have that same history with them to know exactly how things are going to pan out in three or four years' time. True, true. No, so this, is where, this, is where, this is where the real probability of us all queuing up a some kind of booster shot, probably the mRNA type, yeah. which is the uh, Pfizer version, but possibly not, you know, over the years. So I've got a feeling that, over the, that we will probably be getting another three or four at least uh. over time shots. But they'll, they'll probably be the, the Pfizer ones, which at the moment appear to have less side effects. Mm. How did you feel when you had, you had the AstraZeneca? I went home, had, I went down and had this shot, sat around the court for an hour, went home, had an ordinary day. Good. No, I'm happy that you, you're safe because... Uh... Yeah, so, um, I mean, the risk of... Unpleasant side effects was moderately high. Mm. The risks of generally nasty side effects is, is low. The risk of seriously nasty side effects is very, very low. Mm. You know, I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Yes, you're damn unlucky. Mm. You have seriously nasty side effects from the AstraZeneca. Well, why would the government want to want to deal with the AstraZeneca if there, if there was a risk of this thrombosis? Oh, the, the risk of thrombosis. The risk, again, it's one of these classic trade-offs. Mm. Start AstraZeneca works. In the real world, it is as effective in controlling coronavirus as the other ones. Yeah. And it's not sick of this. Two... If you weigh up the risks, mm. the risk of my dying unvaccinated yeah. from coronavirus is 10,000 times greater than if I dying from the side effect of a thrombosis. Yeah. It's simple as that. Because I am older. Mm-hmm. As you get older, the likelihood of thrombosis occurring decreases radically and rapidly. Yeah. Because it's to do with how the immune system works. Well, that's why that's under 50s and not advised that's to have it. There are countries in the world where the cutoff line was 30. Yeah. You know, they said the risk is so great for the virus that we'll, have, we'll, we'll, we'll give it all the way down to 30-year-olds. So what are the kids going to get? We don't know yet. And babies. Yeah. We don't know yet. They won't get AstraZeneca, definitely, because that's increased risk as you get younger. Mm. Don't get my mRNA ones. mRNA ones. Mo- I don't know. Most likely I'm going to get the Pfizer. Well, considering your age, it's a 95-plus percent probability. Now, that's a... Unless... Bit- yeah. A, unless an emergency, a special emergency, an outbreak... So if we had a, a massive outbreak and they had to actually, had to immunise everybody, yeah. then you'd get whatever they happen to have with the vial close to hand. Well, see, the Americans are given the Johnson & Johnson just a single shot, but that hasn't got the best uh, immunity, apparently. We don't know about that. My 
budget. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen the numbers on that budget. But if you notice, that's why they go on to the Super Bowl. They just give them a shot, and then they can go back and watch all this in the crowds. Well, as, as I said, uh, I, I haven't seen the numbers on this yet, mm. and there's a lot of wishful thinking going on there as well. Mm. Mm. And uh, the Super Bowl was three months ago, five months ago now, so hard to go to the Super Bowl. That was another story. Mm. So, um, I don't, as I said, there are many, many variant possibilities in this world for this vaccines. And the best answer is to have as many different ones as possible as work mm. and spread them out as widely as possible. It's a bit of a lucky dip, but will ensure eventually the best survival of everybody. That's it. No, but you do. I, I, I you do get my point. It's, it's, it's not something I want to get every year. If, if, if it can be avoided. Do you get the flu vaccination every year? Yes, because there's still no exact cure for it. Is there a cure for the uh, double shot? Is there a cure for coronavirus? Not yet. No. Is coronavirus likely to be still around? Yes. Is your current vaccination going to be working in the year's time? No. Are you going to get a, a booster vaccination? Yes. I think we just answered the question, haven't we? Yes. No, nah, it's good. Uh, it's good to talk about this stuff, Patrick. I know, but, but I said, when you think about it that way, yeah. when we know yeah. through long-term real-world conditions effectiveness of these vaccines and long-term effectiveness, then we'll be in a position to start making judgments mm-hmm. about things like boosters. Mm. This is the thing, you see, um, the, the testing of these was so fast that there was no long-term testing done at all. Mm. It could have been. I want, I want to point out something. In, in, in England in the 1800s, it was mandatory at one point to be vaccinated. Sorry? It was mandatory mandatory in, in England in the 1800s to be vaccinated at one stage. Well, that's interesting because vaccination at that stage meant literally vaccinated, which meant being, being uh, injected against smallpox. Yeah. So that was all vaccination back up until they started on the other thing. The word vaccination comes with the cow. Yeah. Because what happened was that uh, Canada discovered that cowpox was related to smallpox, but not deadly. Yeah, yeah. So, so they gave people, they actually gave people cowpox. Yeah. Uh, that killed the smallpox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no knowledge of that. I'd I've not heard that. And it sounds to me mm. very, very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not the kind of thing that would have, that I can visualise happening in England in the, in the 19th century. Yeah. It is just contrary to the, my feeling of what 19th century, how 19th century England worked. Yeah. So there are things like, things like public health campaigns like that just didn't happen. Yeah. So really, that just didn't happen. Yeah. So I can't see it. I can't. That one just doesn't. That one. I can't. I can't see it. I can't see it make sense. Yeah, yeah. So I can't 
So I, I would, again, I would check my sources on that very carefully. Yeah, we'll do. I'll do that. I could have misinterpreted it, but... I think so, yeah. To me, it's just how... Fuck. Certainly the 19th century in England. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, how come governments can't make it uh, mandatory to vaccinate people? Can. can they? Yeah. Do you reckon they'll make this COVID vaccine mandatory in Australia? No, that, 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 no vaccine has been made mandatory yet. Mm. Uh, what you might find is mm. that vaccination might become very close to mandatory for international travel. Mm. Uh, because, like I said, historically, we used to have, uh, if you wanted to travel anywhere, you had to have a smallpox vaccination. Mm. Literally, if you wanted to travel anywhere, if you wanted to travel to many countries in the world, you had to have cholera and typhoid. Mm. Yeah, you're telling me about that in South and, America. And, you, like, uh, and the other one, if you had typhoid, you had to have the yellow fever. Yeah. And uh, that, I think that the yellow fever vaccination is still abandoned parts of the world, mm. some parts of the world. See, you, you get Ebola. There's no vaccination for Ebola. Yeah, but Ebola, they managed to do... Ebola, they managed to contain. Mm. Because they worked out what it was, where mm-hmm. it was coming from. Bats. Yeah, so bats, bats are a common... Bats are a very, very common cause of viruses mm-hmm. attacking humans. Something to do with the way they, their bodies work. Mm. Ebola's very bad, Patrick. Oh, it's very, very bad, but because it's very recognisable mm. and it's quick acting, that's one of the things. It's essentially had a face put around. Mm. That's what we think about it with Ebola. It's said it's been fenced off. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, makes, makes it work better. Mm. Anyway, that's my understanding. Yeah, nah, it's um. I think there are all sorts of there are all sorts of that, as I said, plague is still around. Yeah, pestis, pestis. In fact, we talk about the Spanish uh, flu in Australia during the twentieth century, mm-hmm. but after that, there was in fact the plague outbreak in Australia. Plague in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Shit. Pestis, pestis. Oh. They actually had to burn down. They actually burnt down a lot of houses as a result. Mm. Oh yes. See, in the plague, the Jews were getting persecuted because. Yes. <laughs> it's funny that that came up in a lecture in class last week. <laughs> yes, yes, I mean, the thing. <clears throat> uh, and they were attacked. They were an easy target. But why were why were um, uh, society blaming the Jews for it? I don't get that. No, they were an easy target. The thing was. They were, if you don't know what's causing something wrong, mm. you want to find a reason. Mm-hmm. And generally, it's easier to find some personal thing to blame rather than saying, oh, it's just happening. Mm. 
Now, the Jews were already disliked. Mm -hmm. They already were keeping themselves separate. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was always this isolated separate community. Mm -hmm. So now we understood that they were all, that they were a secret society as far as Western Europe was concerned. Mm -hmm. They were different. Mm -hmm. They were disliked because, among other things, uh, as evidence Shakespeare from some hundred years later, mm. they were people like, they didn't think like money lending. Yes, yes. Because... Uh, Christians were allowed to lend money and make, make profit out of money, money lending. So the Jews were money lenders and nobody liked the bankers. Mm. Nobody liked the bankers who's charging you money, mm. who's costing you things. So all of these things added up and they, there was some, and, and they looked different. They were easy to recognize because they looked different. Mm. So they simply became an easy target. Mm -hmm. They became an easy target, that was all. Mm. So uh, it's one of these just uh, scabuses, the way people think. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yep. You know, um, yeah, the Black black Plague was my god. <sighs> the Black Death, which was around the yeah. 1300s, yes. Uh, it, best death, but wiped out a quarter of the world, mm. or the known world. Mm. Anthrax too, like um Anthrax is another one that's very nasty. Mm. Very, very nasty. Quite easy to transmit, but requires a mechanism to transmit it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go wild. But what about rabies? That's coming from dogs. If they bite you, you're in trouble, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, well, again, not Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, rabies, again, it's one of these, it's bacterial, actually. In fact, I've, I've had a rabies, I've actually had rabies vaccinated by life as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to me that there are parts of the world where there are lines drawn on the map, which is the rabies line. Yeah. Because uh, rabies kind of moves with populations. Yeah. So it's not everywhere. Uh, and it's, 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 it's one of these diseases that affects dogs and affects humans. Mm. And it probably affects other primates, other, other uh, primates, uh, it all. Vertebrates as well, other mammals as well. Mm. It probably affects other mammals as well. Uh, in fact, it definitely affects other mammals as well. It's one of these ones that said, I've got to attack a lot of different kinds of things. I'm going to have a really good chance of surviving. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of the way rabies affects dogs in particular, whether a dog is rabid, it loses its inhibitions. Mm -hmm. It goes mad. And it is therefore likely to bite other things. Mm -hmm. A very good way for the virus is to uh, to distribute itself. When you think mm -hmm. about it, mm -hmm. if I can persuade my host to distribute by me by biting and infecting other things, what a great way to do it! Mm -hmm. Really, very successful virus this way. Mm. So, uh, so it is nasty. It is not. It is endemic. It is around. If you are on the wrong side of the rabies line, rabies is always there. Mm. Exactly. And so if you get bit by a dog, as you mm -hmm. don't know, you're automatically 
suspect the possibility of rabies, even if the dog didn't show signs of rabies. Mm-hmm. If you get bit by a wild animal, and I think squirrels are one of them, mm-hmm. the same thing, because it, it, it resides in all of these populations. Mm-hmm. And most of the animals don't have it. Mm-hmm. So not every bite results in rabies. But enough of them have it, and rabies is nasty enough that you've got to suspect them every time. Mm. Patrick, awesome show with you today. Okay. Always great to have you. I want to thank you for coming on. Okay.